back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. You already know what it is. As always, I'm Stelf Albiero. I'm here with the fantasy phenom in real life this time. Let's go. Turkey takes today and th on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving week, loaded slate, two games on Thursday. Alex, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. You know, it's weird to be here in the flesh, coming through town, coming through our hometown for the holidays. Had to come over to, to Steph's crib, check out the studio where he always records this fine, fine podcast. So it's going to be a little bit different today. Obviously, it's going to look a little bit different, too. But it's good to see your face, man. It's good to see your <laughs> you face. Too, so when I roast you about some of your takes, that I can see, see the pain that it inflicts <laughs> uh, on you. So uh, I'm hyped, though. We got some good football tomorrow. Today is Wednesday. Only two games now tomorrow. Looks like Baltimore-Pittsburgh is getting flexed back to Sunday. And the games aren't necessarily the most high-flying playoff matchups, but it's good to have football, that's for sure. Yeah, we got Houston-Detroit on Thursday, and then the classic uh, Cowboys versus the Indians, the Washington football team against Dallas on Thursday. That game's at 4.30, so we don't get a, a Thanksgiving evening game. As of now, we could see some flex at, some flex action go down, <laughs> move those games back. But I would love to see that Kansas City-Tampa Bay game. Let's get that oh. moved up to Thursday night. Let's call, I need, Goodell, where you at, man? Where you at? I need something to do after I take a nap and watch the Lions lose. We got a bunch of loaded topics here. I think we're going to disagree on a lot of these takes today, which usually makes for the best ones. But we saw it happen. Taking the third most sacks in the NFL on the season. We knew it was bound to happen with the offensive line woes that the Cincinnati Bengals had. Joe Burrow. It's a tough scene. ACL tear, MCL tear, structural damage to the knee. Roto World said it's, this is comparable to Carson Wentz's 2017 knee injury that knocked him out. He kind of had to ease in the next season, but was able to get back to his former self. So I think <laughs> long term, well, that, that remains to be seen, really. I mean, he's had some good games, though, at least for fantasy purposes. But what is the fantasy football impact of Joe Burrow being gone for the rest of the season? It, we thought Ryan Finley, who came in after Burrow went down, was going to take over. They fire up Brandon Allen, the 2019 Broncos starter for three games before he got hurt so it's Brandon Allen leading the way for the Bengals what's the fantasy impact of this well first of all this is tough to see I mean this actually reminds me a little bit I'm a Colts fan so when Andrew Luck came into the league he got beat up year after year after year and he avoided a major knee injury but he had so many other injuries that caused him to miss so much time and eventually caused his retirement because enough was enough on his body so with this Bengals team with all the sacks Joe Burrow is taking we hate to see it, but it was only a matter of time before he got a little bit banged up. So I really hope he can get back to full health. It does look like he could miss the start of next season, but he could play at some point next season, hopefully sooner rather than later. But that remains to be seen. I think the Bengals need to address that offensive line this offseason. They need to spend every, every, every piece of draft salary capital they have. Absolutely. And, yeah, draft capital but investment, everything. I'll we'll talk about what the people want to know, and it's what's going to happen this year. I think every single... Bengals asset gets a major downgrade. I think AJ Green, he was almost droppable before. You were kind of riding the lightning there for a while. He is droppable. I'm not starting him anywhere. I'm not even keeping him on my bench. T. Higgins was really coming on. Joe Burrow seemed like it was his favorite target, emerging target, another rookie. I think you still have to keep him on your team. I'm probably trying to bench him this week if possible. Same goes for Tyler Boyd. Now, I know a lot of people have been relying on Higgins 
and Boyd for the past several weeks as Burrow and this offense has picked up. But for the time being, with Brandon Allen stepping in, this offense could be an absolute disaster. And I don't want to risk that this week when we're looking at the fantasy football playoffs. Must win games here down the stretch. And Burrow was averaging 40 passes a game, led the NFL in attempts, 268 yards per game, 1.3 touchdowns per game. For a rookie, those are phenomenal numbers. He was making a strong offensive rookie of the year case before that injury. And yes, I agree. There's a lot of downgrades that are going to happen in this offense. The ceiling is capped for everybody. I think the biggest impact, though, is just the amount of that passing volume. I, I don't see a scenario where they're going to ask Brandon Allen to throw the ball 40 times a game like they were asking Joe Burrow to do unless they want to have you know four or five interceptions a game. Like You just can't expect, expect that much efficiency from Brandon Allen, a guy who's only had three starts his entire career. And... I think there's still some value to be found with Tyler Boyd. I think Tyler Boyd will have that floor that he's kind of always had. I don't think, drop him. Don't freak out no, that, don't, that bad. You can drop A.J. Green. Yes. We agree on that. Okay, yes. drop A.J. Green. Hold Tyler Boyd. Hold T. Higgins. We saw a couple serviceable games from Cortland Sutton. He had a 17 and 18 point outing last year when Brandon Allen was in the lineup. We can look at some of these tendencies. I know it's a limited sample size. Brandon Allen was not a guy who was targeting the running back. And we'll get into Gio Bernard's outlook, but... He was a guy who was, was dialed in on his, his ex-wide receiver, and then he had some serviceable games for Noah Fant in there. I don't know what that means for Drew Sample no. in this Bengals offense. I'm, I'm not interested in him at all, but you're right. Sit Higgins this week. See what happens. Yeah. See what happens. We saw production be there with Cortland Sutton. I think we could see that with T. Higgins. And then I think Boyd is going to be a floor play. You know this team's going to be behind. They're going to be in boat races. They're going to need to air it out. I just wonder you know, what that efficiency is going to look like, and I don't think it's going to be that high. And here's the thing, you know, you sit him this week, but the volume could still be there. Now, I don't expect that Zach Taylor wants to give Brandon Allen 50 passing attempts per game, but this Bengals defense isn't good. Uh, they don't really have a running game. The line's terrible. Joe Mixon is still out. They might be game scripted into throwing the ball way more than they want to. So if we see Brandon Allen throw the ball 40, 45 times on Sunday against the New York Giants team, which the defense isn't great there, but that could tell us even if these are inefficient attempts, inefficient targets for guys like Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, they could still have some flex value down the stretch. So we'll wait and see there. But let's move on to the running backs. Joe Mixon, two more weeks on the IR, earliest he can return is week 14. I'm still wondering if he has a foot after that injury. Yeah, what in the world? Um, so I, I think when Joe Mixon comes back, he's still someone you're starting. I know this offense is going to take a hit. Touchdown upside is going to be lower. They're going to rely on the running game. They're going to try to, I, I would think, check down to the running back and rely on Joe Mixon, who is a stud for them. But I definitely think this means they're not going to rush him back because how many reps – 2021 and beyond are they expecting joe mixon to get with brandon allen exactly i mean if i'm if i'm the gm of the Bengals right now it's let's get as many reps as we can to t higgins just get that rookie experience built up and then when yep. joe burrow's back we can keep cruising i'm plugging in geo bernard rest of the year joe mixon can stay on his couch on ir for geo you know he's had disappointing outings the last two weeks you can start him though single digit carries on the ground they're mixing in some other guys in the backfield, but he is still getting the passing work. So he's this desperation RB2. Don't flex him because there's probably a better wide receiver type of guy there. And really any upside he would have had with scoring that touchdown, right? If he gives you the, the eight points that he gets from, you know, a standard usage and then the six from the touchdown, you're going to be happy with Gio Bernard relative to where you need to plug him in. But that touchdown upside is not going to be there. So 
Uh, I'm, I'm looking for other options, but if I'm stuck with Geo, it's probably because I drafted Mixon and had him as a handcuff, and i got to yep. keep riding him. Yeah, I think as far as the running back goes, if you do have both Geo and Mixon, you can keep starting Geo as an RB2. When Mixon comes back, when he's healthy, you can plug him right back into the lineup. I think the volume will be there, and that's it for the Bengals. It's, it's disappointing to see. I know a lot of people have made um, a lot of, you know, have been in the top of the standings this year because Joe Burrow overperformed. Tyler Boyd, wide receiver 11. Tyler Boyd overperformed. T. Higgins overperformed. So those teams are going to have to make adjustments as we head into the playoffs. Let's look at another NFL team, Steph, that made some adjustments themselves <laughs> as they look towards the playoffs. The New Orleans Saints. The Taysom Hill experience was terrible for everyone except Sean Payton because I think a lot of football fans were kind of hoping to see Taysom Hill crash and burn in this one. It didn't happen. I got to give Taysom Hill some credit here. He had a fantastic game, both running and throwing. Michael Thomas was his best friend in this one. Taysom Hill, 18 for 23, 233 I, yards. I'm floored. I'm zero touchdowns, floored. zero interceptions, but he added 49 yards and two touchdowns on the ground, really moved this offense. That was a great matchup against Atlanta. Michael Thomas looked great in this game. We'll talk about him as well. But, Steph, this New Orleans Saints offense, I would expect Taysom Hill to be the starter moving forward until Drew Brees comes back. And, unfortunately, I think this game also earned him a longer leash. If he goes out and chokes against Denver, against Denver, I think they come back to him against Atlanta again, which is disappointing for probably some Alvin Kamara owners. But it might be exciting for Michael Thomas owners. What do you think about the Saints? You know, we talked about the upside when we talked about Taysom Hill last week is he brings juice to that offense that Drew Brees just wasn't bringing us, whether it's from the creativity that Sean Payton can bring to the scheme, whether it's for just more arm strength, as tough as that is to say against Brees, no knock on him, he's a Hall of Fame QB, but we were seeing some deep receptions being thrown around by Taysom Hill. I was floored by the efficiency. I was a guy that was like, don't touch Taysom Hill with a 10-foot pole, stash him and see what you have. Luckily, the matchup against Atlanta made things a little bit easier for him. Against Denver, I think you can plug Taysom Hill in at your QB spot if you absolutely have to. I knew he was moved out of the tight end designation in all platforms last time I checked. But if you're sitting there with a really rough situation, let's say you were streaming Tua or you're looking at Derek Carr, I think it's worth for a guy that's going to get you the rushing volume that Taysom Hill is going to give us. And then we actually saw some efficiency. Like 18 to 23 is not bad at all. And I know some of those passes weren't the prettiest things in the world, but he was able to push the ball downfield. We saw Michael Thomas had a great game. You're starting him every single week. No questions about him. That did not crush his value. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders was an interesting one. 10 fantasy points in PPR leagues. Caught four receptions for 66 yards in this one. He had the big one called back, right? He had like a 60-yard bomb called back for some... Phantom penalty before the snap. So that could be interesting. That's a good call out. And he had a 44-yard catch late in the second quarter. So I think there's upside there for Emmanuel Sanders. That was another guy that we said, keep him stashed. Who knows if Taysom Hill is the guy that Sean Payton's been hyping up for years and years and years and is now you know finally going to deliver. If we see it, we're, we're going to see it in a big way. So we did see that. Let's talk about Kamara. And the one thing that we saw, this, this has been the running meme, right? Taysom Hill is the one who could stop Kamara from being <laughs> dominant. And we saw it. First game in Kamara's entire career that he did not have a reception at all. Yeah, Steph, listen to these reception totals for Kamara this season where a lot of his fantasy value has hinged. 5, 9, 13, 3, 8, 8, 9, 5, 7, 0. Yikes. Absolutely brutal. And we both are pretty heavily invested in Kamara in some of our bigger high-stakes leagues. So... 
very disappointing and frustrating to see out of that backfield. And I am, quite frankly, concerned. My concern meter on a scale of 1 to 10 with Alvin Kamara is about a 10. But here's the thing. You are starting Alvin Kamara every single week, regardless of format, hands down. You just have to adjust your expectations. He might not be that 25, 30-point lock every single week. He might be down in the 10 to 20-point range, still in RB1, but he's not going to be that top threat each and every week, which is really disappointing. And for those of us that have Kamara, I think a lot of us will be looking at the playoffs because of what he's done for us from weeks you know, 1 through 11. So hopefully by the time we get to the playoffs, Drew Brees is back and that passing volume comes back. So don't freak out. Don't trade him. Hold on and let's hope that Drew Brees can come back sooner rather than later. Interesting as well, Latavius Murray out-touched Kamara in this game. He outs, uh, He didn't out-snap him. The snaps 50, were, 50. They were about even. Um, and, you know, with this offense, with Taysom Hill, Latavius Murray becomes interesting if he and Alvin Kamara are both going to get 12, 13 carries a game because Kamara and Latavius kind of rotate if they're in those power formations. And if there's not going to be that receiving work for the running back, maybe Latavius Murray moves into that deep league RB3 flex consideration as well. Yeah, both guys put up 10 fantasy points in this game. Uh, pretty identical in the style line category. And one thing that actually like blows my mind but gives me a lot of hope for Kamara is that Latavius Murray had two receptions in this game. <laughs> it just happened that he was on the field more in those situations where Taysom Hill was dumping it off to the yep. running back. This is almost a game that Kamara could just kind of sit back and relax. They had a massive lead. We saw Julio have his struggles get pulled out of this game, crush the Atlanta Falcons offense. Their game plan was totally hinged on Julio Jones taking over. So I think part of that was game script as well. So for Taysom Hill, are you are you with me on that he's a streamer level quarterback? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example. My wife and her league has been streaming quarterback all season. Had Gardner Minshew go out of all people. She picked up Kirk Cousins. Actually, she picked up Jameis Winston to stream before the news came out. Had to pivot to Kirk Cousins in the quarterback spot, but also picked up Taysom Hill to stream in the tight end spot. And I think she's going to go ahead and move him over to the quarterback this week and keep that that stream rolling. So I'm telling you, he actually is a voucher. Think about Tyrod Taylor a few years back. Didn't give you a ton of pass volume, but could give you 50 to 60 rushing yards on the ground. And touchdowns on the ground. With touchdowns on the ground. And arguably Taysom Hill has more touchdown upside than Tyrod Taylor had back in the day because of how physical he is as well. So absolutely a streamer. Good matchup against Denver this week. Atlanta again next week. Don't drop him if he lost that tight end eligibility. Keep him in there. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Two touchdowns on the ground. Like, you're not going to pass that up. That's that's Josh Allen numbers that Taysom Hill was able to put up in that game. Let's move over to a backfield that's been causing a lot of headaches for fantasy football players. And it's the Denver Broncos. We are just talking about them in that matchup with the Saints. Tough matchup for Melvin Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. But Melvin Gordon seemingly is, is alive again. Had an 18 fantasy point outing. Would have been 20 points if he didn't have a fumble uh, at one point in the game, but he was a guy that you had probably drafted third or fourth round. That's exactly what we told you to draft him. I remember where we would say the word stability when we would smash the draft button on Melvin Gordon in the back of the third round in drafts. He's sitting at RB19 right now. I had him at 18. You had him at 19 in our rankings. So good call there through 11 weeks. You're spot on with Melvin Gordon. And after two back-to-back weeks where he did burn you, he, he delivered again. Uh, and, the way this backfield really breaks down to me is, is exactly like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers backfield. The Ronald Jones-Leonard Fournette situation where 
One running back is going to get passing volume. He's going to be the clear goal line back. The other is going to get work on the ground, maybe even more work on the ground, capping the upside for both guys. But the red zone and receiving touches, the highly valuable ones in fantasy football, are going to make one of these guys one that you can play. You know I just bought Leonard Fournette 30 minutes before the trade deadline in one of our leagues today. I was able to move him in a deal. But for Melvin Gordon, you know, through the playoff stretch, is he a guy that we can rely on in our lineups? We probably sat him. Like I know, in, for example, in one of our matchups this week, somebody plugged in Chase Edmonds over Melvin Gordon. Are you going to let that continue? Or are you going to plug, Mel- plug Melvin Gordon back in as a more reliable RB2 now that he's kind of out of that down stretch? It's tough because he had a really good game here. And the running back landscape, we've talked about it. It is an absolute wasteland. If you have a guy with a pulse getting about 12 touches a game, regardless of the offense, he's in consideration to be a starter right now. (laughs) So with Melvin Gordon, you know, I think coming off the big game, you leave him in your lineup because you probably have to. um, Just because of the volume he's getting. I mean, you look at this game, the 15 carries for 84 yards and two touchdowns is great. He typically gets that passing work as well. He didn't get any catches in this game or the week prior, which is actually the concerning piece for me, is that the receiving volume hasn't been there for Melvin Gordon, and that's why we saw him struggle there for a few weeks. So without that receiving volume, I don't think he's that consistent of an option. This week he gets the New Orleans Saints defense, number one against running backs in fantasy football. Saints defense, probably the top defense in fantasy this week. They're on an absolute tear, just shut down Matt Ryan. Uh, and had another couple good games before that as well. So Melvin Gordon is someone you're probably starting out of necessity, but I don't think he's just a set it and forget it. I think you keep him in there, keep monitoring, keep looking at the matchup, see how he's getting involved in the passing game as well, and go from there. But for me, he's probably around running back 20 to 24 for the rest of the season, um, which at that point, he's probably someone that's in your lineup. In week 11 against Miami, Melvin Gordon, 15 attempts for 84 yards, very efficient. Typically, we don't see a lot of efficiency on the ground from Melvin Gordon, but 5.6 yards per carry, two touchdowns on the ground that inflated some of those fantasy numbers as well. He's a little bit more of a pedestrian outing if he doesn't have those two touchdowns, but that goes to show the value that he can provide. And then Philip Lindsay actually outcarried Melvin Gordon on the ground and was just as efficient. 16 attempts for 82 yards. So both guys, both of these guys were about the same on the ground. But if we look at 2020 as a whole, Philip Lindsay's played seven games. Melvin Gordon's played nine. So actually pretty close if we're looking at their sample sizes season long. Melvin Gordon has 16 red zone touches to Philip Lindsay's four. That's just an abysmal one. And, and Philip Lindsay hasn't had a red zone touch since Melvin Gordon's been healthy, active in the lineup. He missed that one game with an illness after the DUI. But you know, and that, that's another factor. I don't know if that's ever going to come back up again this season if uh, some kind of suspension or punishment comes in for Melvin Gordon. As far as I've heard, nothing's going to happen. Uh, but if we look at the matchups after this New Orleans one, they have Kansas City, Carolina, Buffalo Bills, LA Chargers. So matchups after New Orleans that are in the bottom half of the league, some of those like Carolina, they're 28th against the running back position. I think in a lot of these spots, you can plug Melvin Gordon in with some sort of confidence. He has a very solid floor. And through the air, you know that, that's where you had some of the concerns. But if we look season long, Melvin Gordon is 20 of 29 receiving in his nine games. Phillip Lindsay's two for eight through the air in seven games. So mm-hmm. the volume is going to Melvin Gordon. He's in there on third downs. If they're going to manufacture touches with screens and things like that, it's going to go to Melvin Gordon. Any sort of PPR league, he does get a bump there. I think he's a guy that if you have him as your RB2, and you need to keep him in there, even if you put him in as a flex. I would rather put in Melvin Gordon as a flex over a name like 
you know, an upside receiver like DJ Chark or Michael Pittman because you guarantee a little bit more volume. You get the red zone touches are going to be more valuable, more likely than, you know, what would, what would you uh, put your money on, right? Melvin Gordon getting a goal line carry or Michael Pittman breaking off a 44-yard reception to the house. So I'm putting my money on Melvin Gordon in that scenario. You're going upside versus floor a little bit there, but at least that's my thoughts on Melvin Gordon. I, I'm actually pretty pleased with um, you know how we thought about him and where we took him in drafts and how he's panned out so far this year. Though I know we did have some some down stretches here. Yeah, I think you're a little higher on Melvin than I am. But Steph, let's talk about. I mean, I would probably take DJ Chark and Pittman in my flex over Melvin Gordon, especially in PPR formats, just because you know they're getting the targets. Melvin Gordon's not right now. He could get them back. Not necessarily for Chark. We've seen some really rough outings from a target yeah, very volume true. perspective. That's very true. But let's, Mike Glennon. Let's let's talk about Michael Pittman. Let's talk about my my boy on the Colts. Last three games has looked fantastic, putting up outings of 9.6, 19.2, and 15.6 fantasy points. Over 80% of snaps in each of those games for the Indianapolis Colts. Steph, do you think Michael Pittman has broken out? Are you willing to flex him? Are you willing to start him right now as the Colts go down this stretch run? Yeah, it's good. I am. I'm completely willing to flex him. I was willing to flex him last week. I knew there was some risk in there, and... Luckily on this one, it hit on some very limited volume. Pittman was three for three through the air for 66 yards and a touchdown, was able to make a big play. That's what we love to see from these rookies is that efficiency. We know the volume's not going to be there. These guys got to work their way up the depth chart. And, you know, it just takes time for them to get more ingrained in the offense. We see things move, you know, quickly with like Justin Jefferson, who's now you know, been moved to, you know, a receiver they can put anywhere in the formation is getting plenty of volume. I'll talk about him a little bit later on in our starts of the week. But for Michael Pittman, since the bye week and he was coming off an injury, he played 59% of snaps, had a a really, you know, lame outing against Detroit. I think a lot of us were looking at that one as, okay, Pittman could be very interesting here. He was a waiver name that week, then disappointed. Maybe some people dropped him after that. And then since then, he's been over 80% of snaps on three back-to-back weeks against Baltimore, Tennessee, and Green Bay was getting seven targets, uh, got seven targets against Baltimore, eight against Tennessee, and only three against Green Bay. But I think Michael Pittman is a guy that you can plug in there. Uh, and it's, it's it doesn't feel great. It's more of like a desperation, high upside flex name. You, you look at him over a tier of guys like Jakeem Grin or KJ Hamler, these kind of streamer waiver guys, Nelson Aguilar, another one in that tier. You're putting him all over those guys. I'm putting you on the spot here. Let's go. Pittman or Fulgham rest of season? Pittman. Pittman. Wow. And it hurts. It hurts. The it, pendulum has swung we'll back talk about the other Fulgham. way. <laughs> we'll talk about Fulgham. It hurts. I got to take the L on Fulgham. I was all over I him. had given it to you. I had given it to you. He was a great pickup there for a few weeks. He's just, we'll talk about him later. That's a little foreshadowing for the rest of the show. That's why you kind of have to stay up to date. You got to stay up to speed. You can't just set it and forget it with these guys because things do change fast. But I'm with you on Pittman. You know, the volume this week is disappointing. Only three targets. But he was able to produce with that touchdown. And when you look at the next four games for the Colts, this has to be one of the easiest schedules and most fav- not easiest from a NFL win standpoint, but a favorable schedule for quarterbacks and wide receivers. Next four weeks, they have the Titans, the Texans, the Raiders, and the Texans. Four absolutely smash matchups. You look at this Colts team as well. I know they like to spread the ball around. We've talked about this before, Steph. They use three tight ends. They use three receivers. It seems like evenly. They use three different running backs, so you can't trust any of these assets. So when that's the case, for me, you have to look at the production. You have to look at what you see on the field. 
and you have to look at the snaps. And Michael Pittman checks all three boxes. He's playing the most snaps of all Colts wide receivers. Naturally, from being on the field, you have a better chance of catching a pass than if you do when you're on the <laughs> sideline. He's playing more snaps than Pascal. He's playing more snaps than Hilton. I know the tight ends are involved, but he's produced when he's had the opportunities, and I think Phillip Rivers is going to continue to trust him and look his way. So if you have Michael Pittman on your team, I think he's an absolute flex play here for the foreseeable future. Now I got, I'm going to compare Michael Pittman, a guy that we both like just because we it was more on the opportunity, not necessarily something that we saw with Pittman, but he does have prototypical alpha X wide receiver size and speed at 6'4", 220. Would you rather go rest of season Michael Pittman or Jalen Ragor? I would easily go with Michael Pittman there. Rag, I like Rager, but he hasn't quite broken out yet. We've already seen it from Pittman, and that's the deal breaker for me. So let's let's make it a little bit more difficult. Michael Pittman or Jerry Judy? I'll still go Pittman. Uh, you know, I think the offense is just moving the ball a little bit better. I think the touchdown opportunities are going to be there. Uh, I love Judy a lot. I think he's actually a better talent than Pittman, could have a better career. But for this year, I'm going with Pittman. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. It just comes down to the quarterback and the offense. And for Pittman, and he's a, he's in an offense that's going to throw the ball a lot. I know, you know, we were talking about this. I know you're a Colts fan, so Colts just tend to, to weave their way into a lot of our discussions here. But we were saying, look, they're bringing Phillip Rivers in. They're going to be a run-heavy team. They're going to make their hay on the defensive side of the ball. But Rivers, in a lot of these games, has had to throw close to 40 pass attempts over the last four games, 33, 43, 39, 36 pass attempts. Some of those have been shootouts, like in this Green Bay matchup. But with as long as Phillip Rivers or even Jacoby Brissett, I know Rivers is questionable right now with that ankle injury. We saw him hobbling around at the end of that game. He was able to come back and play through it, which makes me think he's going to still be in the game going to be forcing it downfield and saying dang flab at every time he throws an interception <laughs> but no i'm with you uh pitman is a fun guy I, as a player um I, he has that splash playability for that guys like chase claypool and i think we'll see jalen rager showed a little bit more uh, as the season goes on but pitman now is a guy in that flex category if you picked him up off waivers if he was a depth stash for you congratulations i think it paid off now steph let's go ahead and get into one of our favorite segments of the week First, it's going to be our running back start-sit decisions. It seems like our listeners are always wanting these guys and then throwing even more in the comments. So don't just blindly throw a comment in. Let's wait and see if we talk about your guy. I'll preview it for you. We're going to hit on Duke Johnson, Jonathan Taylor, Daryl Henderson, Gio Bernard, and Damian Harris in this segment. Who knows? Maybe Steph will throw one on the end as well. Maybe not. (laughs) We'll see. That's why you got to stay tuned. But Steph, first on the list, Duke Johnson going up against the Detroit Lions. This week, great matchup for running backs. He's the last man standing there for the Texans. Had a disappointing outing last week. Only six and a half fantasy points, 10 carries for 15 yards. I won't take victory laps often. This is a guy that I did not like last week. You weren't huge on him, but we, liked we, him. we both agreed you could start him. But this was my fear, just super inefficient. Deshaun Watson does not throw the ball to the running back position. He was actually pass blocking a ton because this Texans offensive line has struggled with pass protection. Steph, Duke Johnson against the Lions. What are you doing? Are you plugging him in or leaving him on the bench? I'm plugging him in if I have to. Uh, I'm cer- certainly not flexing him. I'll look at any other wide receiver, even like a waiver wide receiver, like a, I don't know, Jacoby Myers I'd rather plug in than Duke Johnson. And I want to temper expectations on the ceiling. You know, I thought he was going to be David Johnson plus when he came back, right? Take up all that volume that David Johnson was getting, something like 15 to 20 carries a game, plus all the receiving work that Duke was already getting when David Johnson was in the lineup. But it's just not panning out that way, even though the volume is there. 
uh, against New England in Week 11. Granted, New England was a tough matchup, and actually so is Cleveland. They have a pretty solid run defense. So last two weeks haven't been the best matchups for Duke Johnson. The matchup against Detroit is what keeps him... We'll give him one more shot. If he disappoints against Detroit, I'm out. He's almost he's a, a bench guy, almost borderline droppable in a 10-team league uh, or any league that's not PPR. But Duke had 10 carries, saw five targets, caught three of them for 20 yards. So he's doing what he's always done through the air. You just hope that he can be more efficient on the ground. But when he's running at 1.5 yards per carry, Tough. it's absolutely brutal. The Texans' offensive line isn't doing him any favors either. You just hope that, look, put him in this week. Hope that he can be in that 12 to 15 point range. I'm not going to tell you, like I did earlier, that he could be a smash play closer to 20. I think his ceiling is 15, 16 points. Maybe he gets the touchdown in there that gets him to 20, but I'm not going to expect that in any circumstance because he just hasn't done it. Only has one touchdown on the season. Really isn't being used as a goal line back. They're just taking these 20 yard shots to Will Fuller. Brandon Cooks has taken him to the house. So they really haven't needed him. Even Jordan Aikens and Darren Fells, these tight ends that they're using in the red zone, are all taken away from Duke Johnson. Maybe he was a more of a goal line back. I'd be more excited. But the ceiling is nowhere near as high as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, uh, I but agree you can with start you. him in a desperate spot. I agree with you. And maybe by the time you're listening to this, you're watching him while you eat your turkey. So you can evaluate us on the spot <laughs> with the kind of game that he's having on Thursday afternoon. Turkey takes. Turkey takes here today. But look, yeah, Duke Johnson, 2.8 yards per carry on the season. Only one touchdown on 80 total opportunities. That's just not going to get it done, especially when you have a rushing quarterback who likes to run around the goal line like Deshaun Watson. I'd say his touchdown opportunity is fairly low. It's always possible, but it's not as high as you'd like it to be for someone playing 77% of snaps. And the efficiency is just brutal. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The ceiling is probably 15 points. If he gets four or five catches and can turn that into 80 to 100 total yards between his receiving and what he does on the ground, that's a great week here for Duke Johnson. The matchup is great. We saw Mike Davis have a nice game last week with, you know, P.J. Walker in an offense that we, we didn't really know a lot about coming into the game. We didn't know how it was going to look. They'd certainly put it to the Lions, so I think there's a possibility Duke Johnson does the same. If it's me, though, I'm really trying to leave him on the bench. Guys we talked about earlier, um, Melvin Gordon, starting Melvin Gordon over Duke Johnson. Even Giovanni Bernard. That was one I was going to bring up. We got a lot of questions from on our live stream we did last Sunday. Hopefully we can do another one of those this week. So be a hop on Sunday at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. Answer those last minute start sick questions. But Gio Bernard versus Duke Johnson was a debate. That was, it was, there were guys on both sides. It seemed like a pretty polarizing one, which I wouldn't think for these handcuffed running backs. There would be strong opinions on either side. I was leaning Duke Johnson just because of Deshaun Watson, just because of the offense. Who are you taking the two? I actually think I would take Giovanni Bernard, which is sad because this offense could be atrocious. But I think Gio's passing volume is a little bit more guaranteed and the ceiling there is higher. Giovanni Bernard could get eight targets in a game. I think Duke Johnson, the five targets he saw last week is like a best case scenario, (laughs) maybe slightly above that. So I'll take Gio there. Steph, let's go ahead and talk about Giovanni Bernard. Let's skip ahead a little bit. Last week against Washington, only nine carries, 18 yards. I see him very similar to Duke Johnson, actually, because they're both these backup running backs. The talent isn't top echelon. We know them as receiving backs, but they're getting work on the ground. Obviously, the offense for Duke is a lot better um, now that Joe Burrow is out. But Giovanni Bernard, not very efficient on the ground, but he is seeing targets through the air. Saw five targets last week, seven targets the week before. Turned each of those into four reception performances. Now with Brandon Allen. We don't know what that running back checkdown is going to look like. But I will say, I feel like typically you will see these backup practice squad level quarterbacks 
rely on short throws to the tight end. They rely on check downs to the running back. They want to get the ball out of their hands. They want to get the easy completions. Hopefully the coaching staff understands that too. I would expect five or six targets from Gio in this game, which gives him a pretty solid floor. I don't think the upside there, I, I don't think he's scoring a touchdown this week. But I think he can get you 10 points, and you'll be pretty happy with that. Yeah, the matchup against the Giants makes him a little bit more appealing, too. He's not an upside shot. He's definitely a floor play, but this running back landscape, you know, 10-plus points is a big deal in a lot of lineups. Uh, now, I did see that Gio did show up questionable with a concussion from Wednesday's practice. Oh, wow. If it's Samaje Piran in that backfield, do you have any interest at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. If it's Samaje Piran, you can probably expect... 75% of snaps, but the whole argument against Geo is inefficiency, no touchdown upside, you're counting on that passing game work. Samaje Pirine is Giovanni Bernard without the passing, the receiving game skill set. So if he plods for three, three and a half yards of carry on 20 attempts, I'm still not taking 60 yards and no touchdowns at my running back spot. But again, desperate times call for desperate measures, but I would be avoiding that backfield <laughs> if Giovanni Bernard is out. Steph, let's go ahead and move on to my... Indianapolis Colts, Jonathan Taylor is back in the start six. He's back. We never thought he would be in the start six segment. <laughs> Found his way there by about week seven, and he's been lingering here for a while. Finally had a good performance last week. 22 carries That's for big. 90 yards. Also had four receptions in this game. No touchdowns, but he had a big one called back. On a penalty that I do not think was a penalty. The hold. Um, the hold. And then they had about nine more holding calls after that. So 15 points on no touchdowns last week for Jonathan Taylor. 55% of snaps. I think it's uh, all aboard the Jonathan Taylor hype train. If, if, you were on the, if you were on the train before, you're certainly not getting off now. It's tough, man. Could with, be a trap. With JT, it's... It's the high-hand approach. Who knows? Next week could be a Naheem Hines game. The week after that, we could be back to Jordan Wilkins if Jonathan Taylor disappoints. But I think the Colts have shown that they want to give Jonathan Taylor every possible chance. They would rather him be the hot hand and take yes. over. The one thing we're not seeing is efficiency on the ground. You know, the yards per carry has been abysmal. He's had a couple good ones here and there where he's had a few big runs. You know, for, to your point, maybe that touchdown goes his way. Now we're talking about Jonathan Taylor in a completely different light. But I think he's a guy that's you know, a low-end RB2, high-end RB3, flex name type of guy. You just have a floor there that's going to be there with all these running backs. A floor that you're going to see with Rojo and Fournette. A floor that you're going to see with Melvin Gordon where it's these guys who, who are primary backs. They have the do-it-all skill set, but they just don't have the efficiency or the volume or the touchdown scoring uh, that you need to take it over the top. But to see four for four through the air, Jonathan Taylor's actually been really impressed. 26 receiver. receptions on 27 targets. That very, is insane. Very, very efficient. Very, very productive through the air, which is something that we all didn't think. And I remember the CEH Jonathan Taylor debates that we were having was all about that. If Jonathan Taylor's going to be this <laughs> Nick Chubb type guy, whereas CEH is going to be this Kareem Hunt type guy. Kareem Hunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where he's going to be a pass catcher who can get it done on the ground too. But uh, been pretty impressed by Jonathan Taylor. That that pass catching volume does give you a floor. And we talked about it when we just broke down Michael Pittman earlier. The matchups the rest of the way are great for Jonathan Taylor. Maybe if he had Pittsburgh coming up next week, I'd say let's pump the brakes before we plug him back in. Maybe it was just the Green Bay matchup. The Packers aren't known for being a great run-stopping team. But with matchups against the Tennessee Titans... Houston Texans, Las Vegas Raiders, and then the Texans again before week 16. They do actually play Pittsburgh. I think you can plug in Jonathan Taylor in those situations if you have him. 
could even be a buy low candidate if someone looks at him and says, you know, I am, I'm just trying to jump off the Jonathan Trailer hype train. Maybe you can grab him. I know trade deadlines are passed in a lot of leagues or going to pass next week. But for JT, yeah, he's that low Start end RB2. Yeah, you I'll can take, plug him in. I'll take him over all these flex names we've considered on this list. I'll take him over Melvin Gordon, who we talked about earlier as well. I think Jonathan Taylor's moving his way back into RB2 consideration. We always don't want to overreact to one week whether it's a positive or negative game. So let's keep an eye on it. But with these rookies, you got to hope that, that they volume. continue to get that volume moving forward. So, Steph, let's move on to someone whose volume seems like it's moving in the wrong direction. It's Daryl Henderson for the Los Angeles Rams. Mm. We've seen a little bit of an emergence from Cam Akers. Malcolm Brown has stayed involved as well. Another three-headed backfield that feels absolutely disgusting. You don't even want to get anywhere close to it. Steph, what are we doing with Daryl Henderson? I'll tell you right now, after eight carries for five yards, I'm staying as far away from possible. I mean, last three weeks, eight carries, seven carries, and eight carries. Only, you know, a one reception, one reception, two receptions. Fell into the end zone last week against Seattle, or I, sh- I should say two weeks ago. Unless he gets that touchdown he is not startable. And even if he does, the ceiling is low. I, I He actually kind of reminds me of Mark Ingram earlier in the season where he's getting 8 to 12 touches, but you're banking on a touchdown to get to that RB2 level performance. I'm not banking on that with Daryl Henderson. I'm staying away from all of the Los Angeles Rams until further notice. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. You, you want to look at Daryl Henderson and look at you know, some of the big games that he's had where he took over the backfield was seeing – 15 carries and has the do-it-all skill set he has a workhorse back skill set it sucks that he doesn't just get the reins of this backfield because i think if he did he'd be a very good fantasy option he's seen three receptions four receptions in a lot of these games a worst case scenario he's getting one only has one game where he doesn't have a reception so he does have a little bit of pass volume think of like a Kenyon drake but if you take 10 carries a game away from Kenyon Drake. Do you want to start that guy? No. No, you don't. So I'm, I'm sitting Henderson as well. Unfortunately, he was a guy that he had he had some pop. We all thought he had juice. We thought he could take over the backfield. And again, this Rams backfield, I see it all the time. It's begging for one of these running backs to come in here and take over. Hopefully it's Cam Akers in 2021. But for the rest of 2020, I think you got to avoid these guys like the plague. Almost dropped my iPad. Nice hands there. (laughs) Better than Nelson Aguilar. Let's move on to someone who we don't know if they have good hands or not, Steph, because they never throw him the ball. (laughs) Great segue. Great segue. (laughs) And it is Damian Harris for the New England Patriots with a staggering four targets on the season. What are we doing with him moving forward? He's got the Arizona Cardinals this week. Rex Burkhead is out for the season, so we're finally getting some clarity to that New England Patriots backfield. Sony Michelle is the lingering shadow, though, where we don't know if he's coming back. He is, I, I believe he started practicing. He's been activated from IR. So now you go from Harris, James White, Burkhead, to Harris, James White, Sony Michelle. We saw the Patriots trail in that game last week against the Houston Texans, and James White got a ton of work in that game, that receiving early wanted him to have. In a game against Arizona, where I do expect the Patriots to need to put up points and where they could be trailing, first of all, let's talk about Damian Harris, and let's also talk about who would we rather have in this game, Damian Harris or James White? <laughs> I think I would go James White, especially if it's a PPR league. That's really the decision yeah. that comes that it's The table has to. turned once again on the Patriots. James White was left for dead not too long ago. Things change quickly, though, and I think I'm with you on that James White pick. The crazy thing about Damian Harris is that 
you know, he's not playing really any snaps at all. Only 38% of snaps in week 11. His career high is 56% oh of snaps my gosh. against Baltimore, where they were gashing Baltimore on the ground. And it was had, a monsoon. Had, yeah, had 120 games in a uh, 120 yards in a monsoon. But Damon Harris has been able to run pretty efficiently. It's kind of the, you know, when you see a mobile quarterback, we do get a bump for the rushing, uh, you know, the primary between the tackles handed off on the ground running back. It's just tough because there's there is a world where Damian Harris only gets ten touches, but then only puts up fifty yards, and that's his entire stat line. Yeah. So the floor is there. You do get that floor with a lot of other running backs that are out there. I'm not trying to start Damian Harris. I'm not flexing Damian Harris. But if I have to plug him in as my RB two in a desperation situation, you have to do it. And that's really the case for all these guys that I think that we're talking about. Where if you have to put yeah. them in your RB two spot, so be it. And I, I'm with you there. If, if I have to play Damian Harris, I will, but I'm trying to avoid it. I'm actually, I am willing to start James White as an RB2 in PPR formats this week. It's a deeper shot. It's a deeper name, but he, he was one of the bigger waiver wire pickups this week, I'm sure. And things have kind of changed for New England. Burkhead was getting receiving work. Now you kind of phase that work over to James White in a game where I do expect them to trail against the Arizona Cardinals. I do think they're going to pass the ball more than they would like to. And Cam Newton is willing to check it down to James White. So I think, uh, Steph, let's talk about Great the name. I, I think the people want to know, you know, where would we take Damian Harris compared to other names on this list? So I'm going to tell you Damian Harris or first we'll start with Duke Johnson this week. Duke Johnson, just da- for the past game. Damian Harris or Jonathan Taylor. That one's pretty easy. Jonathan it's JT. Taylor. Damian Harris or Daryl Henderson. I'm going Damian Harris on that one. I think I am too. It, it does not feel great at all. I'd have to look a little bit more at the matchups. I know after Arizona, the Patriots do have some really, really good matchups. But I think for this week, we're looking at Daryl Henderson versus who do the Rams play? San Francisco. San Francisco, yeah. Which that is, it's still a tough matchup. Not as hard as it was in 2019. But Brian you're right. Harris. I think yeah. I would take Damian Harris as well. And then Damian Harris or Gio Bernard. I'm going Gio Bernard. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Let's move over to the wide receiver start sits. This is where things get really interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward at some of these names. First, we got Curtis Samuel. He's been a pinball lately, bouncing all over the place. What do we do with him against the Minnesota Vikings? A pretty good matchup. I think Teddy Bridgewater will be back this week. Last week, they actually did the little bait and switch. They released the uh, actives and inactives, and they said Teddy's active. About a minute later, they said, no, 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 no. He's inactive, and we saw P.J. Walker. I do think Teddy is going to play, but keep an eye on it throughout the rest of the week. Again, we're recording this on Wednesday. Curtis Samuel against the Vikings, who have been beatable. What are you doing? You could plug him in as an upside shot. You know, you look around at other receivers in the league. I'll keep using Jacoby Myers as one because he's a guy that's kind of emerged lately with a high floor. If I just, you know, let's see my team's super top heavy. I'll give you the example. I'm in a league where I have nothing for RB2, nothing for tight end. And if I'm going against one of the better teams in our league, I'm going to need some upside. That's where I'd plug Curtis Samuel in. The matchup is great. Minnesota has been absolutely abysmal against wide receivers. And Carolina's defense isn't stopping anybody either. Dalvin Cook should have an absolute field day against the Panthers here in Week 12. So with all that being said, I I think I am willing to plug Curtis Samuel in with some degree of confidence. I'm putting him in over Mike Williams. I'm putting him in over Jerry Judy. Would you start Curtis Samuel over Michael Pittman? I Oh, wow. That one's tough. I know. And, and here's the thing. With P.J. Walker, I actually don't think that affects that much of the fantasy value. It sucks for the Panthers because he's going to throw a little bit more interceptions. He's not yeah, going to throw We saw a productive game last week with P.J. Walker. Great. It's been regardless whether it's P.J. Walker 
or Teddy Bridgewater, we've seen in good matchups, Curtis Samuel can produce. So you're absolutely right there. Curtis Samuel, over the last five weeks, is the wide receiver five, Steph. Wow. How absurd <laughs> is that? Oh, well, that's actually in standard. Let me look at the PPR filter. Curtis Samuel, over the last five weeks, wide receiver six, averaging 18 fantasy points per game. So I think he's a start, and based on that, I'm going to fire him up over Michael Pittman. We say it time and time again here. Sometimes when you get someone that's hot, you have to start them until they prove you wrong. We've done it with Chase Claypool, and he's turned into an every-week starter. We did it with Travis Fulgham there for a while. He got you about four or five good weeks before the wheels came off. With Curtis Samuel, three great performances, had one down week, but bounces back with another good performance and a good matchup against Minnesota. I'm starting Curtis Samuel this week. I don't know why Matt Rule hates DJ Moore, but looks like Curtis Samuel's taking I mean, DJ over. Moore's putting up numbers, too. He's like the wide True. receiver 13 on the season, which I don't know how the Panthers have three productive wide receivers and a productive running back in defense. the passing game, and Teddy Bridgewater hasn't thrown for 9,000 yards. So, Steph, let's move <laughs> on to a guy we just mentioned, Travis Fulgham. The matchup is beautiful against the Seattle Seahawks. I know that defense tightened up last week against the Cardinals on Thursday night. But Travis Fulgham and Jalen Rager, let's talk about both Eagles guys. Would you start either of them in this matchup? And if you had to start one or the other between Rager and Fulgham, which one would you pick? The thing about Travis Fulgham is that he should be an absolute smash play. Snaps are there. 96% of snaps against Cleveland. Seven targets. The week before that, played 89% of snaps against the Giants. Five targets. Both games, he had one reception for eight yards. It's crazy. And they play Seattle this week. Dead lasts in every single category in terms. Of, they're like defense is historically bad. I would almost expect some regression to occur with them, unless they're just going to be a historically bad defense for the rest of time. But with that being said, if I have to start Fulgham, I will. I just I would rather start Ragor over him to be honest. Because really, I think I would because he's he's getting the really the same targets. Maybe he's not on the field quite as often. I'll have to look. I mean, ninety three percent of snaps, eighty seven percent of snaps last two weeks for Rager. So. It seems like Folger, uh, Fulgham and Rager are essentially their two full-time wide receivers. So after looking at that, I mean, Rager, seven targets and five targets, more productive with those targets. We know, I mean, Fulgham's flash talent, but we know Rager has that talent with his draft capital. Exactly. So I think I'm with you there. I'm going Rager over Fulgham, but... I oh, think you can start both. I, I think, think you, you can start, can start Fulgham, but you probably don't want to after what he's done to you. I'm fine leaving him on the bench. But you can start both, and I'm with you. I would actually go Jalen Rager over Travis Fulgham. And the real killer for both of these guys is Carson Wentz. <laughs> is Carson Wentz. It's also Dallas Goddard, who's come yeah. back and is now soaking up all that production. But the, the Seattle matchup, like you're starting pretty much any receiver. Like you can start a name like Cole Beasley against Seattle, and he's going to produce for you just with how bad their defense is and how good their offense is. So I expect this game to be a Sunday night football shootout. Actually, might be wrong there. It's Monday night football. Ooh. Uh, I think that'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, I think Seattle's going to absolutely dominate in this one. But who knows? We've seen some surprising things happen in those games before. It just it, You hate to see this for Fulgham because he's still getting the volume. But I think these guys are really more in a 1A, 1B situation as opposed to one clear starter. Both guys have had the same target volume. It's just that Ragor's done a little bit more with it. And we know who he is. He has the draft capital, whereas Fulgham's a guy that... We see it with undrafted free agents all the time is that the team is more likely to move away from them because they're not committed with the capital. So that's where the concern comes in where maybe they're tentative to make Fulgham a staple of this offense. The thing is the the snaps tell me otherwise. And I I did this with Marvin Jones earlier in the year. I actually was holding on for dear life, and I kind of got lucky with Kenny Galladay missing some time. 
But when Marvin Jones was left for dead, I left him on my bench because the snaps were there. He was playing 90-plus percent of snaps. We know he has a rapport with Matt Stafford. I'm thinking to myself, if he's on the field, he's going to get the targets to go his way. He's going to get the production to go his way. Now, with Galladay being out, it certainly helps. It's a situation earlier in the year where we saw someone struggle and come back to productivity. And now this is kind of the flip side, but I think he could get back to that productivity, but I'd like to wait and see. Steph, let's move over to another interesting wide receiver situation. You talked about 1A, 1B in Philly. This is like a 1A, 1B, 1C in Tampa Bay. It's crazy. I think you're starting Godwin and Mike Evans every week at this point, and I think you're also starting Antonio Brown every week at this point, coming off a eight-catch for 57-yard performance on 13 targets. Tom Brady loves this guy. He only played 62% of snaps in this game, but he was hyper-productive when he was on the field. Now, the yards per catch is a little bit low, but Brady looked his way a ton. And I think in a matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs, where Brady could have 40, 50 pass attempts, Antonio Brown could be a lock for 8 to 10 targets in this game. And 8 to 10 targets for Antonio Brown from Tom Brady is something you don't want to leave on the bench. Yeah, even had that one really deep bomb that could have been a a home run hit that just went off the fingertips for A.B., knocks a little bit more of the rust off. This is his third game back after not playing football in a year and a half. Like, let's cut this guy some slack. We saw the same thing with Gronk when he came into this offense. Hadn't played in a long time. Takes a couple games to get the the rust off there, Uh, really get moving. But to see 13 targets, extremely encouraging. And has been on the field a lot when, when, you know, they're in these – Boat race game scripts against Kansas City in Week 12. That should be an absolute smash. Fire up AB in your flex spot, and would he be a guy for you that you'd be willing to buy low? I guess if there is someone in your league who has AB, and the production hasn't been there from a fantasy points perspective, because you look at his fantasy points six. 13, right. 13. They're not killing you, but he's not putting up these huge performances. If someone's willing to sell, I think you should go grab him. But the thing is, one, trade deadlines are passed. Two, the name value is going to make that really hard for someone like Antonio Brown. But having said that, I think he's a must start this week and coming out of their bye in week 13. I think moving forward against Minnesota, Atlanta, and Detroit to close out the Lovely season. Lovely matchups. Steph, let's move on to a rookie, CeeDee Lamb. We finally saw him with his backup quarterback, Andy Dalton. But it's a big upgrade from Ben DiNucci and Garrett Gilbert. We saw CeeDee Lamb have a very nice game against the Minnesota Vikings. Potentially had the catch of the week. That was insane. Incredible touchdown Went catch. full matrix mode. He like. absolutely did. He was dodging <laughs> you know, some bullets in slow motion with that one. 66% of snaps in this game. Only six targets. Um, four catches, 34 yards, and the touchdown. Got a few rushing attempts as well. Also returns punts if your league contributes some points for power turn yards. I know one of ours does. Steph, I liked what I saw from Andy Dalton in this game. The Cowboys won the game. He seemed competent and got Amari Cooper the ball. He got CeeDee Lamb the ball. Dalton Schultz caught a touchdown. Zeke looked a little bit more productive. What are we doing with CeeDee Lamb this week against the Washington football team? Another turkey take here because this is a Thanksgiving Day game. Um, But are are you flexing him against Washington? I'd love not to. And the reason why is because of the matchup. I think the Cowboys are going to have a tough time with that Washington front seven. We just saw what they did, granted, at Cincinnati, but they just destroyed Cincinnati and took Joe Burrow for the rest of the year. I think they're going to have some struggles, and they have a tough matchup in Week 13 against Baltimore. So I'm, I'm trying to sit CeeDee Lamb for the next two weeks. We know the talent's there. He's shown it. He's a, you know, for a lot of people, the dynasty wide receiver one. I think he's creeping up into my top five. The way he's able to produce, regardless of the situation around him, 
then we have to start looking at him like a, a Terry McLaurin type guy where no matter what he's going produce, even if it's on limited volume, we saw the touchdown in this game, which was great to see. They do have Cincinnati in week 14, some other nicer matchups down the stretch. So he's a guy that's in flex consideration for me. I'll take him over a guy like Travis Fuller the rest floor. of season. Yeah, he's got a high floor. It all depends on what you're looking for. I think the floor is there. I don't think he's someone against Washington with Andy Dalton who's going to go for, watch him do this now, 150 yards and two <laughs> touchdowns. But I think you can rely on him for five, six targets. He has a pretty high catch rate. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands. They involve him with rushing attempts, with punt returns. You know, he's actually been hyper productive in the red zone, which I didn't expect coming into the year. His touchdown numbers are, are higher than I thought. He's got several this season. Let's see, he's got one, two, three, four, which is not bad through his first, um, you know, 10 career games. And he's sitting as a, as a wide receiver, too, right now. Even with the ups and downs that the Cowboys have had, he's sitting as the wide receiver so, 23 on again, the year. You can start him, but there are better options. We just talked about Antonio Brown. Uh, there's uh, my, my wife's league. She's actually deciding between AB and CD Lamb in that flex spot. I said Antonio Brown, so I'm going to say it on here too. I, I like Antonio Brown in that volume. He's going to get going to get against Kansas City more than CD Lamb, which is a lower volume play, hoping for some of that efficiency. But Steph, last guy on our list at the wide receiver spot, Josh Reynolds. This has been an interesting case. Right when you feel like you can trust the guy, he just rips the rug out from under <laughs> you. They're playing the San Francisco 49ers this week. Jared Goff, huge game last week. A pretty tough matchup. Yeah, Jared Goff last week against Tampa Bay, throwing the ball 51 times. 39 of 51, 376 yards and three touchdowns. Had the couple interceptions, which weren't great, but this was a game plan thing. Sean McVay said the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers stopped the run, so we're going to pass. If there's a team that can stop the pass, they're going to run. San Francisco is middle of the pack in both. What do we think that's going to mean for Josh Reynolds, who is clearly still the number three option on this team? There was a lot of blasphemy out there about him overtaking Spicy Cooper Cup takes were out there. Uh, as, as that number two wide receiver. But he's clearly the number three. What are you doing with Reynolds against San Francisco? He is uh, The reason we put him on the show sheet is just because if you're in a desperation, absolute desperation, let's say you're in a 14-team, maybe even a 16-team league. 91% of snaps That's the thing, the snaps. Like, he's out there running around. Yeah, maybe a lot of those are just, you know, he's running 16 wind sprints a game and not really (laughs) looking around for the ball, but he's out there. And, And to your point earlier, talking about if they're on the field, they're more likely to be productive. That's what we're seeing with Josh Reynolds, who's, had, I mean, multiple games with over 80% of snaps, a couple here with, with over 90, had 91% of snaps against Tampa Bay. So I think it's, yes, he is matchup dependent. He'll be a very interesting option against teams like Arizona, against the Jets, against Seattle in week 16. I think yeah. he's a deep league stash that you can put on the back of your roster, build up some depth. If you absolutely need to start him, you can. In a 12 or a 10 team league, I'm looking the other way just because there's other guys. I agree. He's kind of in, um, you know, I, I hate to say this, but he's kind of in Nelson Aguilar territory. Two very different players. I think Aguilar is much more boomer bust in terms of touchdowns, but he's that guy. I picked up Aguilar in our league because you look at his production. Yes, he's going to have his down weeks, but he's getting snaps. He's getting a fair amount of targets. And if he can turn that into, I mean, last week he had two weeks ago, you know, eight for 94, really productive game. Aguilar has had several touchdowns this year, several 20-point performances, kind of in that same tier. Someone you don't love to start, someone you're not excited to start, but someone you certainly can in a good matchup who's getting snaps for their team. So, yeah, Josh Reynolds is playing more than Cooper Cup right now in terms of snaps. It's crazy. But this Sean, McVay offense, this Sean McVay offense is much more scripted than a lot of other offenses. You see teams like the Packers, you know, Aaron Rodgers, they script up plays to all their different weapons, but you see them improvise a lot. You see Kyler Murray improvise a lot. Deshaun Watson. Sean McVay draws up plays and draws up schemes to get players the ball. We see Cooper Cup 
get, you know, 70 some odd percent of snaps and he's getting 15, 16 targets uh, a game. Uh, over a couple of the yeah, last few weeks. And you'll weeks, see so. like a guy like, like it'll just be a Tyler Higby game one Exactly. Week. You see them feature the tight end because they know they want to exploit the weakness of the defense. We saw it with Robert Woods as well. When these guys are on the field, they facilitate touches for their playmakers. Josh Reynolds is a great player, and he will get a couple plays actually scripted for him in games, but it's not going to be as often as your Robert Woods. It's not going to be as often as Cooper Cup, and you do throw Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby as well with some scripted plays and all three of the running backs. So Josh Reynolds is more of a, a really good blocker, someone who is out there running routes, but he's usually going to be the number two or the number three read, which is why sometimes you can see high snaps with lower targets. But again, a good option to have on your bench. Um, and, and, you know, in the playoffs, these matchups are great with, with Arizona um, and even the New York Jets. You know, if they just absolutely stomp them and the Seattle Seahawks, you can see some volume there. Well, I think that's it for our wide receiver start sits. Let's get into a staple on this show at this point. Week 12 starts of the week. Guys that we expect to exceed expectations, whether that is a guy that you're going to pick off waivers and plug straight into your lineup. Maybe it's a stud who has an absolute smash this week. Maybe a guy coming off a tough matchup, tough outing, and you say, hey, put your faith back in him. He's going to bounce back. But Alex, I'll pass it off to you first. Here's your QB start of the week. After we had some misses and we had some hits last week, I'll take the L on my uh, jury Judy pick. I know you had DeAndre Swift. That didn't pan out for us. If he was in, he would have well, smashed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He would have smashed. The mystery midweek concussion kills us when we record on Wednesdays. Um, but Steph, I'll, I'll hit it off with something. I, you know, my I'll preface it with this: my starts of the week are a little deeper this week. You know, it's playoff time. I didn't want to be too chalk. I'm going a little bit deeper here. People are really needing these last couple wins. My start of the week at the quarterback position, a little riskier this week. We're going Daniel Jones, Daniel a guy Jones. I loved before the season. I felt very bad about it because you know you didn't have to invest a ton of draft capital in Daniel Jones, which is why it wasn't the end of the world. You pick him up at the last pick of your draft, see what he does. We talked about the tough early schedule, and it was tough and it was brutal for Daniel Jones. But he's picked it up lately, and the Giants get the Cincinnati Bengals this week, a team that has not really stopped anybody on the defensive side of the ball. And it's a great matchup for this Giants team that is in contention for the NFC East, there's several teams <laughs> where if you know they're in contention for like a top three draft pick and a playoff spot, and we're in week 11 or 12 now, week 12. Um, so you know this one's great for Daniel Jones. This this matchup is good. Uh, the Bengals are bottom half against the quarterback. I don't expect them to really command a lot of time of possession in this game. And Daniel Jones, I think, is going to move the ball pretty well. He's got Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. Evan Ingram, all healthy. Wayne Gallman's actually looked decent at the yeah. running back position as well. Deion Lewis out of the backfield. So, you know, not the top-notch elite offensive weapons group, but they're piecing it together and they're getting it done. Uh, I think he and a lot of his weapons could have a good one in this game. And something I didn't realize, Steph, over his last four games, Daniel Jones is averaging just under 19 fantasy points per game which no, it's not you know winning you a week at Don't the quarterback it, position. But for Don't someone who started Matt Ryan last week and got about five points and he lost me my week, someone who's supposed to be Matty Ice. Yeah, yikes. right. Yikes. Matty Yikes. I yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Matty Yikes. I would have taken 19 points from Daniel Jones. So that stretch of these last four games, just under 19 points, if you just want some context for where that kind of stands on the spectrum of quarterbacks – it's 0.1 points per game behind Lamar Jackson. It's more than Matt Ryan, who I just mentioned. It's more than Jared Goff, more than Ryan Tannehill. Guys that are, you know, always in streaming consideration. And for some reason, because of what we have in our mind about Daniel Jones, the turnover machine, 
just slinging it, fumbling, doing all these things, a struggling Giants team. We kind of associate him with those turnovers when in reality, the volume is there. It's a good matchup. He actually has a very high rushing floor as well. It's the dude, still there, regardless the, of how much he's going to trip in the red the zone. The dude has got some wheels. So I think Daniel Jones is a fine streamer against Cincinnati. He might turn the ball over a couple times, but he's going to make up for those turnovers with his rushing baseline. Could sling a couple touchdowns as well. If you're in a pinch this week, I'm fine to fire up Daniel Jones. I love it. I love that pick there. I know you've been a, a Danny Dan. I won't give up. <laughs> you've been a Danny Dimes trooper, truther. Can't talk right now. Trooper for a long time now, and now it's like, well, we even said this before the season. He was going to be a buy low candidate yeah. after this first six weeks. He's probably on your waiver wire. He's been Danny Nichols for most of the season, <laughs> but he's back to being Danny Dimes. Steph, Danny Penny's more Steph, like you. Who but... you got a QB? <laughs> So I'm with you on these kind of deeper streaming quarterbacks this week. We, you know who you're starting based on all these matchups. And, and mine is another matchup-dependent guy that we just saw ball the heck out. It is Derek Carr. He plays the Atlanta Falcons this week. And over the last couple of seasons, he has been a guy that you can stream in the right matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs where Derek Carr has been the only QB who's going toe-to-toe with Pat Mahomes in their matchups. Derek Carr has been fantastic this year. Specifically against the Chiefs, but yeah, season long, he's been yeah. efficient. He's he's high completion guy. Sometimes they don't need him to do a whole lot, which is where that kind of hurts his, his fantasy upside. And he's not, you know, a, a Justin Herbert, air it out type of guy or like a Matt Ryan or, or Aaron Rodgers, but he's getting the job done. He's always been efficient. And he was coming off a game where he completed 74% of his 31 attempts for 275 yards and three touchdowns. Didn't have an interception in that game as well. But when Carr's had to air it out, he can do that. He's got Darren Waller operating as the alpha receiver in this offense, doing a fantastic job with it. And then Nelson Aguilar trying to show that he still deserves a starting job in this league. And you look at the Falcons, they're dead last against the quarterback position, dead last against the tight end. So two smash plays there for the Raiders. Their defense is straight up awful, but we know what Matt Ryan and that offense can do. Even without Julio Jones, I think the Falcons are going to be able to move the ball against the Raiders, who have had their own defensive struggles this season, which means a prime matchup for Derek Carr. If you're streaming the position or even want a two-week filler with Atlanta this week and the Jets after, then you can do a lot worse than Derek Carr if you're streaming the QB. I like that pick. And Derek Carr, people are sleeping on this guy. I'm a big Derek Carr fan as well, <laughs> as well as Daniel Jones. For better or for worse, have them both in our dynasty league. We'll see how that one plays out. But at the running back spot, I'm actually going to make a pivot from what I've got in here, Steph. I have Salvan Ahmed in our in our show sheet here. Interesting. He did not practice today with a shoulder injury. Today's Wednesday. And Miles wow, Gaskin has been cleared to practice. Now, I don't know if that means he will play. Keep an eye on it. If Ahmed does play and Gaskin does not play, I love Ahmed this week, and you should absolutely be starting him. But I'm going to pivot to a deep name, Zach Moss. Wow. And, you Hot know, takes. Turkey Zach, takes. Turkey the heat. takes. Zach Moss, after he came back from that toe injury, got eased back in, and then he had 47%, 54%, 56 51% of snaps in this Buffalo offense. He scored three touchdowns in those four games. He's getting a couple targets a game. He's getting around 10 carries a game in that time. And for someone – that is getting 10 carries per game and a couple targets a game in a good offense. And is their goal line back? I think you can do a lot worse at the running back position. He's right in there with a lot of those, you know, flex questions, those start sit names at the running back spot. And I have a lot of confidence in Zach Moss this week coming off the bye against the Los Angeles Chargers. I think that's going to be a higher scoring game. I think that Zach Moss could get a touchdown opportunity. It could always be Josh Allen. 
But if Zach Moss can get into the end zone, I think he's right there in that 15-point range. I think he can get you 50 to 60 yards on the ground. I, I have him to score this week and add a couple targets to that and some receiving yards, and he's a very fine RB2 play um, against the Chargers. The Buffalo Bills backfield is is a light version of what we see with the Denver backfield with Melvin Gordon, Phillip Lindsay, yep. or the Buccaneers backfield with Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones. To your point, Zach Moss is the one who's getting all the high-value touches. He's used more in the receiving game. I know Singletary is used that way as well. He but he's also the goal line back if they end up going to the running back. So it is a light version. They're a tick down for yep. both of those backfields. But I think, yeah, you're right. If you need a streamer, if you're desperate, pick up Zach Moss. And you look at the Chargers this year giving up 25.7 points to the running back position. The Bills running back room is Singletary and Moss. Break up 25 points however you want. Both could actually be decent plays. But if I'm picking mm. one, I'm definitely picking Zach Moss there. No way I'm touching Devin Singletary just yet. I'm putting my money on Moss with a really good opportunity this week. I think that's a really good pick. Glad you pivoted there at the last second. And Savon Ahmed against the Jets could be a really good one too, even if it is Miles Gaskin. They're both interesting. So you went all with all the deeper options. I'm going with the chalk snatch play this week because it's Miles Sanders against Seattle after two pedestrian outings, ones where you weren't hyped, you weren't getting what you wanted from Miles Sanders when you plugged him in there. And I'm seeing him in lineups where guys have Dalvin Cook and Miles Sanders. And I'm like, how are they not just <laughs> absolutely dominating every single week? But I think this week is when Miles Sanders is going to shout out. It is time for Sanders to shine. And we know what's happening in every game with the Seahawks this year. It's either going to be garbage time or a shootout. We know Seattle's offense is great. Their defense is historically awful. The Seahawks are giving up 25 points a week to the running back position. Just like the Chargers are with your Moss pick. And Sanders has been getting close to 20 touches a game. He's averaging 15 carries and five targets a game this season. I could see Sanders easily see 25 touches in this game if the game script calls for it. Again, whether that's in garbage time or competitive shootout, if this game, you know, if a few things break their way, maybe the, the Eagles defense shows up and is able to stifle some things. We'll see if Chris Carson returning comes into play as well and helps that Seahawks offense, you know, put the Eagles in a spot where they need to score. But I love the volume. And we've seen Sanders have the juice to take touches between the tackles to the house. He's had 70-yard breakaway touchdown runs against the teams like the Steelers. He's had great games against the Ravens um, and has balled out against bad defenses like the Cincinnati Bengals as well. So regardless of the matchup, you're starting Sanders every single week. I think this is the time where you're going to reap the rewards if if you've held tight with him over the last two weeks. Since the return from injury, lock Sanders in for a big week 12. I love it. Start your studs. Don't get cute here at the end of the season. But Steph, let's move over to the wide receiver spot. I'm going to go with Robbie Anderson against the Minnesota Vikings. Nice. This has been a very interesting story. It's something we see a lot in fantasy football. You just kind of ride the roller coaster. But Robbie Anderson has kind of been, you know, he's faded throughout the season. Weeks one through seven was the wide receiver seven. Over the past four weeks, the wide receiver 34 went from 16 points per game over that first seven games to 10 points per game over the last four. People that have Robbie Anderson knowing he's not a big name are probably starting to think he's regressing to the mean, which one, he is. But two, I think the last four weeks of production, nine points, 15, six, 11, are honestly lower than the opportunity suggests. And you look at those last four games where he's been a little bit disappointing, only 10 fantasy points per game, eight targets, 13 targets, six targets and nine targets no touchdowns over that stretch for someone we know is a burner and a deep threat so against minnesota a team that 
cannot stop the pass. I expect Robbie Anderson to have a very good game. The snaps have been there for him as well. 82%, 81%, 71%, 69%. He's still on the field a ton. He's seeing a ton of targets. Teddy Bridgewater should be back this week, but we talked about earlier whether it's P.J. Walker or Teddy Bridgewater. We expect them to be able to get it done through the air. And I think this is going to be a Robbie week. I think he could see some good volume and break loose for a big one and return a very, very solid fantasy performance against the Minnesota Vikings. Season long, you do look at a, at a touch squeeze there where Robbie Anderson's going to compete with volume with Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore. We've yeah. seen all three of these guys have good games on the same week. We just saw that last week. So I think you got to keep riding the hot hand. And Robbie's really been the number one there this season yeah. with the new coaching staff. Minnesota, 45 points per game to the wide receiver position. So plenty to go around for DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie. Nice. Nice. I like that that wide receiver short of the week there. And mine is Justin Jefferson. You probably don't get, need to get told that Justin Jefferson's a good start, but if you're, you're questioning it at all, like I don't want to see JJ in these flex questions that you guys are putting down in the comments. Again, if you guys like what we're doing here, hit us with those start sick questions down below. A sub and a like is always appreciated as well but for Justin Jefferson he's a smash play Adam Thielen we think it might be a, a false positive but he did test positive for COVID was put on the COVID IR list he might miss this game but either way I'm firing up Justin Jefferson this week and really every single week in that same matchup against the Carolina Panthers Jay Jets is on pace for over 70 catches and 1300 receiving yards on the season as a rookie this wow. kid's a stud and he's currently sitting as the wide receiver 16 the Minnesota defense can't stop anybody, so they do get into these shootouts. And if Adam Thielen's not there, it's going to be Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson that this defense or this, this offense is going to move the ball through. The Panthers secondary doesn't scare me at all, even if he ends up drawing top coverage with Adam Thielen out. Add in the fact that Jefferson is known for making splash plays. He's top 10 in yards after the catch and number one in the NFL in yards per target and yards per route run. When we look at these rookies, we want to see that efficiency to say, you know, these guys that are going to produce for the rest of their careers. So far, Justin Jefferson is checking every single box I want to see for a rookie. So, so efficient, both what he's doing, you know, with these deep receptions, he has a very high average depth of target, but then also being able to produce once he gets the ball in his hands. Jefferson's an every week start in a smash play. Wide receiver one in week 12. Whoa. I love it there, Steph. Let's go to the tight end. This is where it gets a little bit dicey. Eesh. I've used this name in the past, and I'm going to use it again because he disappointed in his last game before the bye. I'm going with Evan Ingram for the New York Giants, kind of pairing it with my Daniel Jones pick, going all in on the Giants this week, which feels very, very <laughs> terrifying. Maybe I'll throw them uh, in some DFS stacks, get Danny Dimes with Slayton and Evan Ingram for some double stacks there. But I like Evan Ingram this week. People are, are so quick to forget that he ran a 4-4-2, 40-yard dash coming into the league. He gets a lot of crap for his drops and things like that. But at the tight end spot, you want the guy that can bust a 70-yard touchdown. You know, there's always the tight end threats that are the Jason Wittens of the world, kind of lumbering, and you hope for that five-yard touchdown. With Evan Ingram, one play can make him literally the tight end one on the week. So Evan Ingram, not only does he have the athletic profile to make things happen, get chunk plays, things like that, He's seeing the volume. He's seeing the targets. 6.7 targets per game this season. Third in targets at the tight end position behind only Travis, Kelsey, and Darren Waller. So the opportunities are there. Wow. The athleticism's there. The matchup is there against the Cincinnati Bengals. So I like Evan Ingram this week. You probably can't do a lot better. If you have Evan Ingram on your team, he has underperformed production-wise, efficiency-wise with that volume. But I do think you have to keep starting that volume because you're not going to get <laughs> – 
you know, anything better at the tight end spot, starting guys getting three, four targets a game. So start Evan Ingram with confidence. If you held him through the bye after the disappointing week, he needs to be in starting lineups against the Bengals in week 12. And I've seen a lot of questions coming in, you know, comparing Evan Ingram to like Logan Thomas. Is that an that's, easy one that's for you? so easy to me. I think the tougher ones are like Evan Ingram or Johnny Smith. And I'm still taking Evan Ingram there. I think Interesting. Evan Ingram or TJ Hawkinson. I know TJ Hawkinson plays on the Thursday game, so this might you might be listening after that. But I would go Hawkinson there. I think after you know you get your Kelsey, um, Waller, Waller Andrew. Andrews, Hawkinson, I think Ingram's right there. I was avoiding Ingram in drafts because of the injury risk, but he's actually stayed healthy all season. But he's somehow still disappointed. It's kind of a weird thing, but I think this is a smash matchup for him. My 10 and start of the week, it's a gross one. It's a guy that's on a lot of waiver wires in shallower leagues, and it's Mike Gesicki. Yikes. On the Miami Dolphins. More like yikes, Gesicki. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, he has the Jets this week. Smash matchup there, and Gesicki's actually had a nice stretch. It's been a quiet stretch, but over the last three weeks, putting up over 40 yards and commanding at least four targets in back-to-back games, the floor is starting to rise a little yeah. bit for Gesicki, regardless of Tua or Fitzmagic. We'd love to see Fitzmagic in there for Gesicki's fantasy value, but even if it is Tua, he's still looking his way a little bit. Uh, and again, the matchup is just fantastic. And this is a tight end position where we've got Mike Gesicki. This just speaks to how bad the tight end is this year. We've got Mike Gesicki sitting in a top five in average depth of target, air yards, and yards per reception. Wow. He's actually, I think, number one in yards per reception amongst tight ends right now. So the efficiency is there for Gesicki. We're just not seeing the volume. He's not creating separation, uh, and he's not scoring as much, but there is a floor there. If you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel, I know in one of my leagues, Tyler Higby, that I'm looking at starting, it's like if Gesicki was out there, I'm plugging in Gesicki over Higby this week. Because I think that wraps up today's show. Thank you all so much for listening and watching. Again, if you like what we do here, hit that subscribe button. Enjoy your Thanksgiving weekends. And of I course. must say, speaking of thanks, Steph and I started this about a year ago. And if you would have told us in a year, we would have had the support and the engagement and the community Guys, thank you that all we so have. Much. I think I would have laughed you out of the room. <laughs> so we're just so thankful and appreciative. We get to talk about sports. We get to talk about football, fantasy football, something we love. And you guys care enough about it to, to talk with us as well. So thank you so much. We're going to keep the content coming through the season, through the off season. We're going to be here. We'll be back like we never left every single week. Uh, and I just had to throw that in there here, Steph, as we get, finish up these turkey takes, as we give thanks heading into the weekend. Hell of an episode. And I, guys, really so grateful for all your support. There's so many fantasy football creators out there so the fact that you're checking us out means a lot to us and we'll catch you all next time and hopefully on a live stream this weekend peace peace